Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Are you ready to experience freedom? Today I'm sitting down with Lisa Boucher with a cowgirl's lessons for letting go. And after years of training polo horses and working as a flight attendant, hairdresser, and a bartender, Lisa reconstructed her life. She settled in as a registered nurse. And for the past 27 years, she's worked with hundreds of women to help them overcome alcoholism, live better lives, and become better parents. She's the award-winning author of six books, the mother of twin sons, and she lives in Ohio with her husband. And what you're going to soon find out is she is quite the horseman, horsewoman. I'm not even sure the right words. So Lisa will help me. And I'm going to share one of my own experiences with horses in just a moment. But welcome, Lisa. I'm so honored to have you here on the Make Life Matter podcast. Thanks for having me, Angela. Okay, so what's the right word right off the bat? Well, I don't know there is a right word. I like to consider myself a cowgirl because I, I I learned to ride on English saddle and that is a lot more finesse and there's a lot more to it. But I found my place in the saddle riding Western. I did a little showing when I was younger, but it's mostly just the relationship with the horse. And mm-hmm. my horse was my best friend. And having that relationship, I guess we can equate that with finding a relationship with Jesus, right? That you have that personal connection. And so I really just enjoyed putting the saddle on my horse and going out. I had an idyllic place to ride and there was just the woods and the flowers and the trees Mm. and, you know, the deer. So that's kind of my happy place. So I just call myself a a cowgirl. I love it. We're going to talk about your new book in just a minute because you really had an experience and kind of a a ride, a, a couple of rides in an area that kind of prompted this most recent book. But I'd like to start with one of your previous books. And uh, you're the author of Raising the Bottom. You talk about being 33 years sober. So I'd really love for you to just invite us into your story, Lisa. Maybe someone's meeting you for the very first time. Because before we get to Pray, Trust, Ride, which is really encouraging us to stay in the saddle, ride through life with a loose rein, easier said to de- than done, myself included, but you had to learn how to relinquish control and to trust God. So can you walk us through some of your story and how raising the bottom really is, is, is part of your story before we move into pray, trust, ride? And it is, sure. So I think um, I got sober in my late 20s where I... I grew up with an alcoholic mother and she was a registered nurse as well. And she got addicted to Valium, started her addiction. So I saw this woman um, try to find help in so many places with doctors and hospitals and psychiatrists. And she never found the right kind of help until Mm -hmm. finally, you know, fast forward. There's a lot of stories in the book about this, but she hit a very low bottom. And 
So when I, she was like seven years sober and she started whispering in my ear about, you know, do you think you might be drinking a little too much? And when you're in your late twenties or twenties or whatever, everybody sometimes drinks a little too much yeah, and nobody looks at it as a problem. And this Mm -hmm. was before I had my children. My husband's a professional. We were both working and then our life revolved around going out and having drinks. And so many people live that lifestyle. But for me, I did notice where I, you know, I was in and out of college for a decade. So that was a red flag that, okay, something isn't working. Mm. Um, I I was beginning to fall apart internally, but all the props externally were still in place. Wow. And I think sometimes it's people can rationalize and justify that there's nothing they need to worry about or work on because everything looks great. And so I had to, and I feel like this God did bless me to be able to see what I needed to see earlier than most people do, because most people like my mother, things just went gravely wrong before she realized like, oh, wow, you know, I need help. And um, I didn't want to make that same mistake. And so I knew, you know, this hole in the soul, I think I was trying to fill the hole in the soul with shopping. Mm. I started to notice I had a shopping addiction. I was constantly buying new outfits. Mm. And I think that was just, if I look good on the outside, everything's fine. And oh, that's just such a fantasy. Um And so the alcohol, again, you know, I wasn't a daily drinker when I quit, but I can tell you it was my go-to coping mechanism. Mm dealing with my feelings. When I was angry, I drank. When I was happy, I drank. And it was, you know, celebrating stupid stuff as an excuse Mm. to drink because it takes that edge off whatever you're feeling. But on the flip side, it also dulls any joy. So I had to learn, and I think just growing up in an alcoholic home with a rageaholic father, that I, none of us kids, I have three siblings, and none of us learned healthy coping skills. None of us were comfortable feeling. We were always shut down when you did express any kind of emotion. Why are you crying or whatever? And then I was raised in a Catholic home. And um, there was that fear of God. So that was not the right relationship that mm-hmm. you're going to hell literally for all kinds of things. So there was just this, you grow up with these uh, distorted views of yeah. God, uh, relationships, uh, family. And I think that's kind of where it just, you know, fell apart for me. So I'm, I feel blessed that I was you know, willing to say, you know, I need to make a change in my life. I'm I'm not happy. I didn't have a good relationship with God. It was more that religion, you know, you're trucking off to church, but what are you really getting out of it mm. type thing? It was, I didn't have a relationship with God. And I feel like sobriety and the 12 steps brought me back to God of my childhood, but in a very different way. Um, mm. You know, he looks very different now to me than he did through the eyes of, you know, you better behave or you're going to yes. be not going to like you anymore kind of thing. And that just is not how it is. So, well, thank you for sharing your story. And I know that is so impactful for so many, like you said, so many people fall into these traps of distorted views and and coping mechanisms that are unhealthy and, uh, and, and we need to get out from under the shame of that. We have to talk about it. We have to reach out for help awareness, like your mom noticed that if we're seeing that in ourselves or in others that we love, 
And there's such a big difference, Lisa, as you're identifying between religion and relationship. And religion is going to feel cumbersome. It's going to feel uh, heavy. It's going to feel weighted. It's going to feel shame-based. Where relationship is going to feel invitational, that God wants to come alongside of us in our journey and to see us free to really be all that God intends for us to be. So then you moved into this season of your life as a nurse where now you really help so many other women to become free. Uh, do you identify as a nurse? Are you working more with what you see with maybe some life controlling issues or are these, do you serve as a nurse and then separately you're working with women or talk us through kind of how this season of your life has looked in the way God is using you? Well, I, healthcare, I mean, that's become a sore spot with me. I've been a nurse for, I don't know, almost 30 years. And it has drastically changed from when I first became a nurse. Mm-hmm. And I worked primarily in a level one trauma center and the emergency room was the bulk of my career. And then I ended up in psych. So in both areas, you see a lot of human wreckage. Mm-hmm. Um And that I think helped birth raising the bottom because I started to look at like, why are people coming in with these, um, a lot of car crashes and uh, accidents and alcohol related drugs and alcohol. And then you start digging deeper and you look back in their charts and almost invariably, not always, but too many times childhood trauma of some sort. Okay. Sexual, physical abuse. So I started connecting these dots. And then when I moved into the psych arena, same thing. So this depression, anxiety, a lot of it stemmed from childhood trauma. A lot of it stemmed from, um, honestly, the, the doctors and hospitals do a horrible job of pointing people in the direction of cures, because we, we need to remember, and some people might not like me saying this, but they want customers. They don't want cures. Mm -hmm. So they're not really out to help you. And that is just the brutal truth that I had to, you know, I started to see it about 10 years ago. And now I'm, there's no doubt in my mind, this is healthcare is no longer about cures. It's Mm -hmm. about we, customer. So they are throwing pills and medication at people and they do don't point them in the direction of recovery. When you see this underlying drugs and alcohol in so many people, but yet they don't address that and they throw antidepressants and antipsychotics at them. It's just the worst kind of medicine that can be practiced because you need to get a baseline. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I do believe some people benefit from maybe an antidepressant, a mild one, if they're truly having clinical depression, not situational depression, right? You know, you spouse, you're going to be depressed. There's no pill that's going to fix that grief or you lose a child. I mean, heaven forbid. So there are these things that happen in our lives that pills are not the solution. And the, the, healthcare doesn't recognize that. So they just throw pills at everything. And a lot of times that causes people to spiral further into these deep pits of despair. And um, 
So it, it's really disheartening. And I think that's where I almost feel like in the healthcare arena, I, I'm just there not a lot anymore. I, I still do work a couple of days, a couple of half days a week. I like to keep my foot in it to stay relevant, like what's really going on. Mm. But um, I, I found that I almost feel like useless in that arena now because they don't want to talk about the whole, you know, body, mind, spirit. And of yes. course, with so much of addiction, it is a spiritual disease. Yeah. And healthcare doesn't recognize that either. It's mm. only to them, it's a physical malady. But that is not true. And and the solution for addiction is finding that spiritual connection. So you're going from isolation to connection. Wow, that's and, so grateful. Mm. So it's rough. It's kind of hard too. So I've moved on and that's why I wanted to write the book. And I did a whole chapter to doctors, nurses, and healthcare. And I just call them out because I just got tired of it. I got really tired of seeing them not helping people. And in fact, they're hurting them like they did with my mother for 25 years. Mm -hmm. All these notable doctors and Cleveland Clinic and all these people just threw medication on her. And none of it ever worked. And so for 25 years, she suffered until somebody said, hey, you're an alcoholic. And she was like, oh, well, good. (laughs) Now there's a solution. And she got sober and never looked back and never took another pill. And that's another thing that was just Mm -hmm. like, wow. So how did so many people misdiagnose her? And I see that going on. They throw around these, you know, bipolar and manic depression diagnosis like they're scattering bird seed and it's mm. disgraceful. I agree, Lisa, and I appreciate you shedding light on that. That's really just a whole conversation. I'm not in the yeah. medical space. We're in the my husband and I are pastors, but we've seen some of the same things that you're identifying. And you know, we need to have healthy paths forward and out of those kind of life controlling issues, not just continue to medicate or throw gasoline on an already burning fire, which is, it's a very frustrating situation. All the more reason we need healthy resources. We need accountability. We need community. Like you said, to move out of isolation. That's one of the worst things we can do when we're going through an issue, a struggle. So many people struggle with mental health coming out into the whole pandemic. Uh, Alcohol was on the rise, drug use on the rise, child abuse on the rise, you know, so we're seeing that we're defaulting to very unhealthy mechanisms. But the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. It can be different. It can be different. And that's what I loved even about, I've not read the, the book that you were talking about, Raising the Bottom, but I've read your recent one, Pray, Trust, Ride. And I can see it's, it's a series of like vignettes, but I can see the depth in what you're bringing. And it's, it's a great resource for people who are really wanting to move into a new season. They want to let go. They're feeling a little bit stuck or they're, they're trying to control everything in our life. And even coping mechanisms flow from control. They flow from our, you know, desires to try to control things rather than surrendering to God. I, I teach voice lessons, for example, and it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive because you think that you need to work harder to produce more sound, but actually the more relaxed you are, the more relaxed your vocal cords are, the more you trust the breathing, that's when sound moves most effortlessly. So there's a little bit of 
kind of some parallels between writing and that freedom that you talk about and relinquishing control and even what I've experienced as a musician and just trusting the process that God is taking us through. I want to talk a little bit about my own experience riding horses because I want to talk about this book, Pray, Trust, Ride, that I loved. So I was telling Lisa earlier, my husband and I went out to Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado um, maybe like two years ago. And once I adjusted to altitude, you know, it's really, it's a steep altitude and it's very dry. So you kind of have to let yourself kind of adjust to that. But once I got settled in, we rode every day for several hours And I mean, I had ridden when I was young, by no means am I an experienced writer like you are, Lisa, but I had an amazing experience. We were on one of our last rides. Maybe it was the second to last day. We were up in the mountains, you know, of Colorado, open sky, you know, you can picture it. It's beautiful. It's crisp, clean air. It's, it's cactus and, you know, it's bare up there, but it's still breathtakingly beautiful. And she worked us up into a lobe. And I had this feeling of, of genuine like fear for a minute. You want to pull the reins really tight. You want to squeeze everything. You're, you're terrified for a moment because it feels very fast and it feels out of control. And all of a sudden, Lisa, I let go and I just relaxed into that. And I felt the most un, like I'm actually getting a little bit emotional revisiting this moment because it was so freeing for me. And maybe I experienced freedom in a way in that moment that I don't know that I've maybe a few times in my life have I gotten to that level of, of just complete release. And it was joyous and it was euphoric. I know you've experienced that. And this parallel between us holding on tightly and releasing control. So that's been my experience. I literally came home and told my husband, I want to buy a horse. He's not, you're buying, you're not buying a horse. He said, you can take horseback riding lessons if you want to. And so, you know, talk about that because this whole book is framed on an experience you had. And maybe someone's listening. They're like, I've never ridden a horse. What does horseback riding have to do with my relationship with God? But there are some unbelievable parallels of how we need to let go, surrender, and the lessons that we can learn in this process. So share a little bit about your experience and and these parallels between riding and what we need to do to be able to truly relinquish control and surrender to the Lord. Well, there were parts in the book where um, on what we were talking earlier, where I was on a cattle drive that was at a real working ranch. And so we're going up into the mountains. This was in Wyoming. And there were a couple places where literally, I know the book opens with a scene when I was in a vicious thunderstorm when I was 15 on my horse. And I I literally let go of the reins and let him you know, get us back to the barn because I couldn't see it was it was night and it was thundering and lightning and it was vicious and the rain. So and then and I'm, you know, years later, I wanted to reconnect with this horse, um, the the rider in me. And so we were on like a steep path where I if I turn my head to the left, I'm literally kissing the mountain. And I look to my right and there is a sheer drop. And I hate heights. I had no idea we were going to be on footpaths like that. I mean, it wasn't for great lengths of time, but for like 10 minutes of sheer terror. And I literally 
knew like intuitively, I need to let go of the reins and let this horse do what this horse does because he doesn't want to die either. And there's no sense in me holding on. So I, I, I equate things like that in the book where like, we sometimes have to literally let go. And I wanted to give people a visual of what that looks like and give it to God, give it to someone mm-hmm. higher, you know, up when I was going down another place where we're going down a steep embankment through a raging river and you come up a steep embankment and we're pushing the cattle through there. And so the bank's getting very muddy and it's mm-hmm. like a quagmire. The horses need all the head they can get. So you've got to give them a loose rein, let go so they can pull themselves up and out. And Mm. so these were things that I was experiencing. And when I was writing this book, I'm relating it to, you know, when I got sober, I had to let go of this whole sobriety process and give it to God because you can't control it. I I didn't know. People told me, work the steps, do this. But how it unfolds for everybody is really different because we all are going to have our own personal relationship with that higher power. I know there are people that really struggled with God Mm. in recovery Mm. because they had terrible things happen to them as a child. Sure. And so they decided if there's a loving God, how could these bad things happen? And I know a lot of people struggle with God because of that. So here again, it's that visual of we have to let go sometimes of our misconceptions, our anger, our disappointment, and and try to give it a chance to God will speak to us and reveal himself, but we have to let go first. And so I've noticed with working through with women for, you know, for all these years, that is the biggest struggle is people want to control the uncontrollable. (laughs) They're fearful of what's going to come. So let me control it now so that I can micromanage it to death (laughs) and have it unfold the way I want it to unfold because I'm scared (laughs) or, you know, as a mom, I, I, I caught myself doing that with my kids. You know, we don't want our kids to be hurt. But then we also, if we don't let go, then then we're preventing them from learning the lessons they need to learn. That's and so my true. sons both play division one football and there's a lot of highs and lows and heartbreak and all of that and, you know, injuries and all this stuff. And watching that as a parent can be really hard. But there again, you know, you have to let go. You can't control these uncontrollable things. Hmm. And I feel like God kept putting these lessons in front of me that, you got to let go. I had to let go a lot of the misconceptions of that I learned in my childhood. And I think we all struggle with that. So I wanted to give people a visual. I wanted to relate it to nature because that's where I first started to find my way back to God was in nature and looking at how, like I would sit there and just go, well, who could orchestrate the beauty of these seasons Mm -hmm. or that these flowers know when to wake up or just the birds know what to do and when to leave. I mean, if you really think about it, it's pretty incredible what God has made for us and he shows himself in nature all the time, if we look. Um, And and so that I tied the two things that I love the most now, God and nature in Pray, Trust, Ride. I love that. I love that, Lisa. I love being outdoors myself. In fact, this morning I was walking outside in my backyard and I looked at the trees that normally provide 
almost a covering and a barrier between me and my, our neighbors behind us. And, and I could realize I could just see everything through to their backyard because the trees were bare. And I said out loud, wow, they're so bare. And then immediately the Lord was just showing me in seasons where things look bare, they look stripped, they look like nothing is growing. Those trees are not stressed out. They're just standing there in my backyard knowing that soon a new season is going to come and leaves are going to grow and they're going to flourish and birds are going to sit in their tree and in their branches. And, and so it was just a reminder for me, um, like you're saying, I, I maybe someone's listening. They're like, I don't know that I want to horseback ride, do something in this new year. You know, we're starting a new year. This is still toward the early part of the year as you're listening do something that number one pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone this year and, and pushes you, encourages you to let go. For me, I found that as Lisa's describing writing, um, when I was in Colorado, I find it when I'm in nature, I find it sometimes in music when I can just sit and play and it's very freeing and I don't think and I just, connect with God in a very personal way. God is a very personal God. He wants to connect with us intimately. And you're not the first person who's told me that really nature experiences in nature brought you back to God in a relationship with him. So we can really feel his presence so powerfully. I know people who've gone to uh, to California and just looking up at the sequoias or my husband was raised in Alaska for 25 years and you know, the beauty, the majesty of the mountains and the glaciers. So uh, I travel extensively. And so when I'm traveling, I'm all of my senses are awakened. It's everything is new, the culture, the people, the food, the sight, the sights, the smell, what's around me. And I just think it's so crucial to awaken those dull places in us and to realize where we're trying to control things and to let God control them. You made a really powerful insight that I wanted to, to draw out. Um, I would love to ask you because you, you helped us to kind of frame this. What is the difference between giving up on a dream? Cause when you're saying letting go, you don't mean just like, well, let go of all your dreams and let go. Like you help us walk through what you mean by that. But what's the difference between giving up on a dream and giving up on the way that we think a dream should look like? We have to not plan, like I said earlier, the outcomes that we have these dreams and then we have this picture often in our heads of how that's going to look and how it's going to unfold. And I know I learned a really important concept that I need to do the footwork. It's like St. Francis used to tell us, you want a garden, pray, but you got to pick up the hoe. True. So, you know, you got to do the footwork. And I learned that. If I do the footwork, I do what I can do. And I tried to impart this to my sons that you do your part. So whatever that looks like to make your dream come true, but then you don't get to plan how that's going to unfold. Mm -hmm. And that's where the hard part is because God will either surprise you. Maybe he will disappoint you. Mm. And um, I, I can say from my own personal experience, I with my writing journey, it has been a journey. And I often think it was more of a spiritual journey than a writing journey, because Mm -hmm. there were, you know, like I said, six books. And along the way, I I started out in fiction, then I went to the alcohol book. And then it's like, I felt God putting on my heart, that it was time for all of us just 
everyday average people to start raising our voices and speak up for God. And so yeah. that's what, I, that's why I wrote Pray, Trust, Run. I felt like God was saying, you know what? It's time. I've been here all along, but in this secular world we live and with all the God bashing and taking God out of everything, I just got tired of it. Yeah. And I thought, well, Lord, okay, I'm willing. And if you want to use me, so then here came this little book. So I don't know what's going to happen with Pray, Trust, Ride, you know, who it will impact, who it won't. That's where I have to let that dream unfold the way God wants. I just showed up. I obeyed what I thought he was asking me to do, but I cannot plan who's going to hear the message. You know, if this podcast will lead to another invitation to one, or I can't plan that. And that's what I meant. I don't get to say how this is going to unfold. That's so good, Lisa, because we can inadvertently put our hope in an outcome and put our trust in an outcome rather than in God for the outcome. He knows better. His ways are higher. His thoughts are, we know that intellectually, but then we really do kind of fix our sights on an outcome. And our culture is so data-based. What are the numbers? What are the this? What is the that? And then when that outcome doesn't happen the way we thought it should, and I'm if you're not watching, I'm using air quotes, then we can become very disappointed. And then we can we can project that disappointment onto God. Well, you didn't come through for me. Well, you didn't answer this prayer in the way I wanted. What that's telling us, we were really tethering our hope and holding on tightly to the reins of an outcome rather than to the character of God and trusting him regardless of the outcome. That's a life lesson that we all have to learn. And so that's so insightful, Lisa. And I, I I could talk to you for so long because there's so many things I loved about these little nuggets that are all throughout your book. But I just want to mention before we kind of wrap up that you do weave in the story of King Jehoshaphat. One of my favorite passages of scripture as a worship pastor was Second Chronicles 20, because you talk about how they just come to a, a really impassable situation. You talk about at the beginning of the book, your own almost, I don't know how I'm going to get back to the barn. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to get through this. And the same situation happens to them where like, I really don't know uh, what to do, but my eyes are on you and they send the worshipers out in front. So as a worship pastor, I used to love that, that worship is what's going to help really move these mountains that we see in front of us. So can you just share maybe you know, one, one reason you felt led to kind of draw these lessons out of Jehoshaphat when you were talking about letting go. It was, I feel like that was a little gift from God because I stumbled over it where, you know, maybe I'd read it before. I'm not a Mm -hmm. Bible scholar, but I do read the Bible and bits and pieces. And one year I did read it cover to cover. That's, you know, but you miss so much and there's so much that I don't about it and whatnot. But one day that just jumped out and I went, oh my gosh, because here is this King Jehoshaphat and he's got all these people and they're like, what are we going to do? And these armies are bearing down on them from all directions. And the only thing he could come up with is we are going to pray. He didn't have, like I say in the book, he didn't have a battle plan, but he had a prayer plan. That's right. I just took that lesson to heart because in my life, with so many things, I don't have a plan. You know, I just got to pray about it, especially again with, you know, our adult children and I have two granddaughters now and, and whatnot. So 
you can't, you can only do so much and be the best influence that you can, but people are going to make their own choices and do what they do. And so I, you know, there, there is no plan sometime to get people to do what you want them to do or things in life. We have to let go and give it to God, do the footwork. That is really what I was trying to impart is that King Jehoshaphat said, I'm going to trust God because when all else fails, if we do that first, it'd probably save us all a lot of, you know, heartache. But that's um, so good. That's so true. Well, Lisa, I want people to connect with you. If they're just hearing about you for the first time, they may want to get a copy of your first book, Raising the Bottom, your other resources, your fiction writer as well, and now your new book, Pray Trust Right. So how can they reach out to you? Um, my website is lisaboucherauthor.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at L. Boucher Author. And my book is on Amazon. And where books are sold, I don't think it's in every bookstore. But you can walk into any bookstore and have them order it if you don't like to shop on Amazon. Love that. So, Love that. Well, thank you, Lisa. Well, thank you for sharing your life and your story here. And I know it's encouraged so many people. And I would love for you to just pray over us as we close. All right. Father God, I ask that you touch this audience, whoever is listening to my voice today, to this podcast today, that you will speak to them in the year 2023, that you will open their hearts to trust you more, to let go of outcomes, to let go of the fear that's holding them back, to just trust in you more and more, to look for you in their lives. Father God, we pray that you will touch them in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com, Facebook at angeladenadiovov, and Instagram at angeladenadio. Until next week, let's make life matter.